Uh, we're going to talk about Psalm 27, which is an incredible response to difficulty. And when I was studying through it, I remembered back to a time that I was going through some difficulty. It was the job I had, and we'd sold a lot of equipment out to the East Coast, and they weren't working like they were supposed to. So part of my job was to go out and solve problems. So I knew going out there, Monday morning is going to be tough. I wasn't looking forward to it. So I'd flown out there and got there Saturday night. Sunday morning, I'm in Washington, D.C., and I just love church. So I thought, where can I go to church this morning? This is before Google. So it was the Yellow Pages, right? You're in the Yellow Pages trying to figure out like, well, is this a good church or not? There's no Yelp. There's nothing. There's just, hmm. So I'm looking down. I want to find a church that I can fit in, that I won't stand out, that is casual dressing, you know, the whole thing. So I thought I found one close by, got in my car, headed over there. I arrived, it was like in a strip mall, kind of, it was one of those churches, kind of moving forward. And I'm walking up and it's almost time to start and there's this guy in a three-piece suit out in front, handsome, big smile, African-American. He's like, you coming to church? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, are you new here? Yes, I am. He already knew that. And he said, well, let me get you a seat. I said, okay. So we walk in, I noticed right away, it's a small church maybe 50 people, and it's all black. I am the lone white guy. So he marches me down and then seats me almost in the front row. And you know how you can feel people looking at you like the part of your head gets hot? Have you ever had that sense? Like, ah, my whole body felt that way. I'm like, oh my goodness, I am not going to fit in here. Everyone's dressed up, I'm dressed down, I'm white, they're black. And then the music started and it was amazing. It was amazing. Like they can clap. They can clap in a way that makes you want to try to clap. I can't clap, and it became really obvious there, but I tried to clap. And then the age-old question, can Christians dance? Some can, some can't. They could, I couldn't, and they did. And it, they just threw down. And it was like, it was like a black hole. It sucked you into praise. You could not help but engage because God's presence was there, like in an amazing way. Like, it didn't matter. I clap like a moron. I can't dance. I dance like a frog in a blender, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to engage. This thing is so awesome. So, and it was long. Like, I bet you it was an hour of just singing. And then the pastor got up, Keith Gardner, and he started to preach. And when he started to preach, guess what the congregation did? They preached back at him. Like there was ongoing conversations happening as he's preaching. People standing up, clapping, aim, twirling around in circles, walking around. Like it was like this conversation. I'm, I'm watching this happen. And he preached for a long time. It was in 2 Samuel. It was about the life of David. I can still remember it. Like, wow. Then after he preached, more songs, offering time. It was hours and hours of church. Pack your lunch. We're going to God's house today. Hours and hours. And then when it was done, Pastor Keith Gardner must have recognized that I was new. <laughs> the sole white dude. He's like, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And he started asking me some questions. And then he prayed for me. And I can remember getting in my car. And I can remember 
My problems on Monday had not changed. I was going to the same situation, but I was changed. My circumstances were exactly the same, but I was a different person. I'd come into the house of God. I'd been touched by his presence and his people, and I'd left full of power. And Monday didn't matter to me anymore. That's the power that I think David's tapping into right here in Psalm 27. It's brilliant. And he's talking about really difficult things he was facing, much worse than my Monday morning, right? He had enemies that wanted to cut his head off. If you know David's story over and over, he's running from King Saul because King Saul wants to kill him. And there's like these stories where he'll be boxed into a canyon where it seems like he's done. He's in a cave, he's trapped. And then somehow he escapes. Or he's about to get killed and Saul has to go to the bathroom and he gets by him. I guess Saul was bad at murder, which is good for David. And then one time he's actually in King Saul's castle, his throne room. And King Saul decides he's gonna shish kebab him to the wall with his spear, but he misses, right? So David has real, real things he's dealing with. On top of that, when he becomes king, this group called the Philistines, they attack over and over and over again. Like this wave after wave after wave of these Philistines that want to take him out. And, and if that wasn't enough, David had family drama. Family drama that I don't think you and I can even understand. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. The other son kills the son that raped the daughter. That same son actually kicks David out of his castle and runs him out of the country. So you might think you have family drama. Unless your son has kicked you out of your house and run you out of the United States of America, you probably don't have the same trouble David did, right? He had incredibly deep trouble. And this is the guy with all those trouble, with all that difficulty, he pens Psalm 27. So listen to it, it's brilliant. It's on anxiety and stress. Psalm 27, verse one. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of Yahweh, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. For he will, not hide, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father 
and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me in. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. Such a brilliant psalm. Aren't they all? Here's what David does. He's got real stress. He's got real difficulty. He's got real issues. He does four things. God, look, church, faith. That's what he does in this psalm. With the stress that's coming against him, with the anxiety, with all this stuff, right? He says, God, look, church, faith. So let's check these out. Number one, he begins with God. Verse one, in the midst of all this, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Lots of people have worry right now. Lots of things to be worried about. Disease, finances, future, lots of things. Here's how David begins. When he's thinking through the foes that are coming against him, his stresses and his worries, the very first thing he does is he reminds himself, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? For believers, that's where we begin. We don't begin by what our government might say. We don't begin by what our own heart might be saying to us. As believers, step one is God, God. There's this great story of Jesus in Luke chapter 10 where he sends out his disciples and they go out and they do these amazing things. They heal the sick and they cast out demons and it's amazing. And so they come back to Jesus and they're really stoked. They're like, Jesus, we have all this power. It's awesome. And Jesus does this. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You got a real enemy. Don't rejoice that the demons obey you and that you're casting out disease. Rejoice in this that your names are written in heaven. Now, why would Jesus do this to these returning missionaries that are all stoked? Because he knows this. There'll come a time when you won't get healed from your disease. There'll come a time when you won't have power, you'll be weak. But the one thing that can never be taken from you is not your power. It's not your ability to do great things for God. The one thing that can never be taken from you and me as our names being written in heaven. It's untakeable. And when you base your life on that rock, you become unmovable. He's the God of my light and my salvation. Like what's the worst thing that could happen to you? You die and go to glory. That's the believer. The worst thing that happens to us is you threaten me with glory, great. That's the believer. And then secondly says this about God. You're my stronghold. So um, I've watched the Avenger movies. I don't really understand them. My son loves them. He has to explain them to me. But every once in a while, there's a line in them that I love. 
And I don't know which movie this was. I probably could have Googled and found out, but it didn't matter enough to me. But there was a line where some big giant force from outer space was coming and they're gonna attack earth and, and they're gonna annihilate us. And so they're threatening the Avengers and they're like, we have an army. And the Avengers say back to this alien force, yeah, but we have a Hulk and that's it. That's what we should, we got a God. We have the creator, the sustainer of the universe. Big whoop, I don't care what you have. We have Yahweh, we have Yahweh and he sits on a throne and nothing is too hard for him. And so the psalmist will say over and over, magnify God, get a bigger picture of who God is. He'll shrink your problems. That's what he'll do. So David is right here. He begins with God. He's my salvation. He's my stronghold. That's where he begins. Then after it's God, okay, reminding ourselves, this is who God is. Number two, look, God. Look at the problems I have, verses two and three. Evildoers assail me. They wanna eat up my flesh. An army encamps against me. He begins to name his fears. David is like, these are the things that are scaring me right now. This is what I'm seeing, God. He's in camp, right? He's not in his castle anymore. He's in a tent surrounded by enemies, right? If you're in a castle, you're kind of defendable. Eros can't, is, a, is a tent a safe place when you have enemies around you? Like you can't think of a more unsafe place than a tent, right? I'll give you an example of it. Many, many years ago, uh, I was in the school of ministry we did this hike down the Rogue River Trail, really fun. And I was about, I think, 24 at the time, Southern Oregon kid. And one of my friends was 19 from LA, Matt Nicastro. And so he's like, this is the first time he's ever gone camping and done this stuff. And he was really worried about bears. He's like, I don't know about bears, man. Are bears gonna get me? I'm like, dude, I I've never seen a bear. Don't even worry about bears, right? So we hiked down the first night and we're ready to camp, and I don't bring anything but a sleeping bag. And he's like, hey, can I camp with you? I'm like, sure, what do you got? He's like, I have this tarp. So we set this tarp up, kind of at an angle. It did end up raining that night. I was very happy to have the tarp. And uh, I go to sleep, and I'm like, Nicastro, dude, don't worry about bears, man. There's no such thing, don't even worry about it. So we go to sleep, 5.45 a.m. Matt, 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 I'm like, what? There's a bear. I'm like, what? I look out the bottom of my sleeping bag, underneath the tent, between the little gap between my feet and the top of the tarp, there's a bear, five feet from my feet. He's like sniffing us. Are these guys tasty? Kind of sniffing around. And Nakasha's like, dude, what are we gonna do? For some reason, I don't know why I did this, even to this day, I'm like, go home, bear, go home. Matt looks at me like, what? The bear looked at me like, what? And then he just turned off and ran off into the woods. So Matt DeCash was like, you can do that? I'm like, totally, dude, they're trained around here. <sighs> the sad thing is a year later, he got mauled to death by a bear. I'm kidding, did not happen. Tents are not defendable space. If that bear did not go home, maybe I'm different right now. David is in a tent. My enemies are camped all around me. This is real, true fear, right? People hunting and wanting to kill him. Most Americans will never face those kind of things. Unless you're in some kind of a shady business like the mafia or you're selling drugs, people aren't knocking at your door to cut your head off. These are the real fears David had. 
And I love how honest the Bible is, that there's real dangers to life. Any attitude in life that does not give you honest evaluation of the world we live in, get away from it. The Bible is really honest about it. Yeah, bad things can happen. It never downplays it. It never dumbs things down. The Bible is, life's a battle. You've got real enemies and they wanna take you out. There's really bad things that can happen to you. We're, we're learning that more and more and more. Really bad things can happen to you. Don't downplay it. What you do is you say, God, look. God, look what's happening right here. Look at the diseases. Look, look at my finances. Look at bad people. Look, look. He names his fears. Just this is what I'm going through, God. But it's what is next that's so good to me. So it's God, look, and then it's church. Look at verse four. One thing, in the midst of all this anxiety and this stress, one thing have I asked of Yahweh, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh, to inquire in his temple. He goes to church, good church. Maybe the type of church I went to in Washington, D.C., no, whatever it was, 20 years ago, where you experience something in that time together that allows you to re-perspectivize the world you live in, where you get lifted up above the stuff that you're around, like, oh, yes, good church. And number one, he says this, I'm gonna seek something. I'm gonna seek something. Anxiety and stress, they remind you and me what we can and cannot control. We can't control what's in a grocery store right now. We can't control the hours they're open. We can't control how other people are responding to this. We can't control how our government is dealing with it, right? We can't control the financial outlook and the economy of our world. Like you just go down the list. Stress lets you know everything that you cannot control. Your access to healthcare. They get better healthcare than me. Oh, all right. There's tons of things that when you are stressed and anxious, you realize I have no control over that. The one thing you can always control is seeking God. The amount of time you decide, I'm gonna seek God. And if you're to look right now at yourself and look at, Screen time versus scripture time, how's that ratio? Are you seeking this one thing? This one thing, I'm going to seek him. How's your ratio? Because in verse eight, it says this. You said, seek my face, and my heart said to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Stress should say to you, seek my face. Because another hour of TV I'm telling you, it will not change your perspective one bit. But maybe, maybe one hour of seeking God's face lifts you above it in a way that you've never experienced before and actually strengthens you in a way that you've never known before. So this morning I had more time. Like normally I get here at about 8, 15 or so. It's not like an extra hour. I just read 10 extra Psalms. It was so uplifting to my soul. Like, ah, I didn't get on the news. I didn't try to figure out. I just, I'm gonna read 10 extra Psalms this morning. 
It was brilliant. It was brilliant. It lifted me up. So for David, church is number one, seek. Number two, he says this, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh. The word in the Hebrew for dwell, it's to inhabit, to sit, to be at home with. So it's not going to a place because God isn't in a location. It's an attitude of my heart. It's I want to be at home with God. I want to be around him. I want to feel, I want to be comfortable with God. I want to dwell with him. Are we comfortable being in God's home, being around God? Because there's one thing that makes us uncomfortable with God. You know what it is? Sin. Read Genesis 1 through 3. It's so brilliant. Right? God makes this great home. I want to dwell with my people. I want to be with them. I want to walk with them in the cool of the garden. They sin, what happens? When God shows up, they hide themselves. They can't take the gaze of God. They don't want to be in his presence. They get away from God. The thing that makes us uncomfortable not wanting to dwell with God, it's our sin. That's what it is. And I have this great opportunity um, to talk with young people that are like questioning their faith and they come back from college or whatever. And they're like, I just don't know if I believe anymore. And I'll, and I'll ask them questions like, well, why? What changed? Well, you know, this professor said. So I'll try to give them the other side of it. Well, there's inconsistencies in the Bible. Okay, let's talk about those. Well, you know, the intolerance of Christianity. Okay, let's talk about that. Let, and, I, and I just will work through all of them and try to answer them all. Usually pretty well. And what happens is, at the end of it, I'll start digging at them. When did you start deciding you're not gonna come and dwell with God anymore? And what's interesting is a lot of times, well, it actually started when I moved into an apartment with my boyfriend. Ah, you didn't like the gaze of God anymore. That's what it was. And you, like Adam and Eve, are hiding yourself and making fig leaves trying to protect yourself from his gaze. See, we get comfortable with God when we confess our sins and repent. That was last week, Psalm 51. David felt it, right? You've cast me away. I don't know, God didn't move, you moved, David. But we sense it, we sense it. And the way that we move back underneath his gaze is to say, I blew it, God. Cleanse me, restore me, bring me back. Are we comfortable in God's presence? Dwell. And then thirdly, beauty to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh. Do you know humans are very unique in our drive for beauty? Even like this setup this morning, like it's beautiful. Thank you, everybody that worked on this. It's beautiful, like beauty, like back here, beauty. We love beauty. That's unique. Like animals don't have the same striving for beauty, but we do. So Immanuel Kant, this philosopher, he has this essay and it's really good. And he says this, when humans, when we talk about appetites, we have an appetite for food, but you'll eat a certain amount of food and you'll get to a point where you're like, oh, I can't eat any more food. Ugh. Just the thought of food makes me feel sick, right? That appetite gets full. He says sex, right? You, you can have so much sex, like, no, I just, I'm not interested in sex anymore. Like we have these, these limits on these appetites. But he said on beauty, it's limitless. No one ever says, you know, I've just seen enough beauty. I'm gonna go down to the dump. I just wanna hang out at the Merlin dump now. I wanna see something nasty. 
No, we have an insatiable, limitless appetite for beauty. Why is that? Because we were created to be in God's presence and he is beauty. And he has limitless beauty for us. So David says, I want to get into that beauty. I want to be around that. That's what I want. And I'll tell you, the way that I know in my own heart where I'm at with my relationship with God is this. Do I find Jesus useful or do I find Jesus beautiful? Am I trying to use Jesus to get what I want? Give me the goods. Keep me from this sickness. Give me financial. Am I trying to use Jesus for my own ends? Or do I look at Jesus and just find what he has done for me? Do I find it beautiful? It's a great way to evaluate. And what is it that actually moves people? What transforms people? Usefulness or beauty? Who on their wife's birthday would write your wife a birthday card? Honey, I just find you so useful. What shall I compare you to? You're as useful as my DeWalt chop saw. You're a loving husband, right? You would not be married long. We say we find you beautiful because we know that's what moves, that's what moves us. So David here is getting at the core of it. I wanna see the beauty. I wanna see his beauty. Do you ever sit and just think about the gospel? And when you sit about the gospel, does it move you? Is it beautiful to you? What Jesus did for us, is it beautiful? As you really think it through. If Jesus gave me nothing else in life, if all he did for me was the cross, would that be enough? Would I say, you know what? You've done enough already. I need nothing else from you. And if we think about the gospel, it's the solution. The only real disease that can take you and me out is sin, evil, and death. And Jesus dealt them a death blow on the cross. The only real debt that can destroy you and me was paid for by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The only real loneliness and isolation that can last was solved by Jesus when he repaired the damage between us and our father and adopted us as his kids. That's what the gospel is supposed to do to you. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Oh, this is church in its glory. This is church when it's done right. Seeking, dwelling, gazing. And when Jesus is beautiful to you, it transforms your Mondays. It changes you. And this is what happens. This is what happens to David. So number four is faith, right? And if we're honest with ourselves for a moment, if you're really honest, in your day, you ricochet back and forth between faith and fear. That's what you do. Day by day, hour by hour, it might be minute by minute. You hear some new stock report, you hear some new disease report, you hear some new numbers, right? You can be, ah, I'm happy, I'm faithful. Boom, you're fearful. Like we just, we're ping pong balls, just bah, fear and faith. And, and that, that's what Christians do. So I was, um, I've been listening to these missionaries in the Sudan, because I was in Africa, so you kind of start thinking about stuff like that. And this missionary, he went to the Sudan and he was replacing some missionaries and going there, he wanted to know, like, what did you learn from the last Christians? So I don't like, do I need to start over with the basics or can we build, you know, where are we at? This is what they told him. The Sudanese said this, the last Christians told us how to be afraid. And he's like, what? What do you mean? He said, well, when they would preach, 
about Jesus. And then they, they get their visas removed for preaching about Jesus. All the other missionaries would stop preaching about Jesus because they didn't want their visas to be removed. They were afraid. When, when something happened to their kids, like they got a sickness that we're so used to, right? Like our kids get sick all the time. They would freak out and be like, ah, I don't know what to do. And we're like, well, don't you pray? They taught us how to be afraid when our kids get sick. And then, then when they had financial problems, like all of a sudden they'd just get afraid and they'd pack up all their stuff and they'd move back to their home country. Yeah, the Christians taught us how to be afraid. That's pretty sad. If we're honest, we're just like that. We ricochet back and forth between faith and between fear. But here's what happens to David. He has this difference now because he has been seeking God's face, because he's dwelling, he's become comfortable in God's presence, because he's been gazing upon the beauty of God. He has a whole new perspective. Look at verse five. For he will, not he might or could, hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Not from the day of trouble, in the midst of what's happening and how hard things are. He'll hide me in those times. Not remove them from me. He'll walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll help me endure whatever is happening right now. Verse six. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. When you've got a bunch of enemies that are trying to shoot you, what should you not do? Probably lift your head up, right? You keep your head down. What's he saying? I'm not afraid of him anymore. I'm gonna shout joy. I'm gonna sing and make melody to Yahweh. You got an army around you? What should you also not do? Make a lot of noise. What's he saying? The fear that was paralyzing me and causing me to be someone that I don't wanna be, it's been transformed and now I've got confidence and courage. Like it's just brilliant. And then he ends and I'll end here. And there's tons in here. He ends, verse 13 and 14, two of my favorite verses. You should memorize them. I believe that I shall, like listen to the confident wording here. Not might, not could, not maybe. This is confidence. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. I'm gonna see his goodness, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the land of the living, today in Grants Pass, today in Josephine County, today at 1320 Walker Road. I'm gonna see his goodness today because he's a good God. That's what he's saying today. I've told people I'm an eternal optimist. And it's not because of my sweet disposition. If you know me well, I don't have a sweet disposition. I'm an eternal optimist because of Jesus Christ. I'm not a sweet optimist because I haven't gone through things. My side of my family, you know, my wife's different, but my side of my family, you name it, has happened to them. I'm a sweet optimist because of Jesus Christ. Because when I look at, yeah, there's all these problems, no doubt, my family, tons of them, whatever, all right? But, but then I just put on the other side of the scale, Jesus. I say, wait a second, he's enough. He's stronger, he's better, he's proved it to me. 
That's what I do. And that gives me eternal optimism. It's Jesus. So twice David says this, wait for Yahweh, wait for Yahweh. This thing is a journey of patience. Like our ping-ponging between fear and faith, that's a, that's a journey. David's on that journey right now. He's learning some stuff. He's growing, no doubt. He's been in it for a while, but it's okay to be afraid. Just don't stay there. Don't stay there. That's what David's saying. Okay, sometimes it takes time. Sometimes I gotta walk this thing out. Okay, okay. And if you look at this psalm and you can do it tomorrow, look at all the things that David says this is what I'm going to do now. The I wills, right? I will seek. I will trust. I will wait. I will look. I will inquire. I will lift. I will hear. I will sing. I will believe. I will be strong. That's what happens when you get your mind off this side of the scale and get your mind on this side. I will. I will. That's the Psalms. Prophet Isaiah found the same thing. He looked down the tunnel of time prophetically. He knew Babylon was coming. It was gonna be brutal. So he says this in Isaiah 26, three. He says, you will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That's what David's finding. When I'm doing the one thing, seeking, dwelling, gazing on your beauty, I find peace, I find your goodness, I'm strong, and I'm courageous. And maybe the best way to do that is through communion. So if you have it at home, you can grab communion. Um, I'm gonna grab ours right here in our living room, and we're gonna take communion. So Jesus would say in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I'll give you rest for your soul. There's two rests there. There's the given rest, and then there's the rest from actually yoking with Jesus and giving him your burdens. He's our burden bearer. Whatever stress we're having, remind yourself of that. Cast all your cares upon him. If he gave you his best, his life, he'll give you the rest. So Jesus, this morning, as we remember you, may you be beautiful to us. May the gospel be the good news reminds us on the cross you did the work needed for us to become your people for you to be our stronghold for you to lift our heads up for you to protect us for you to bless us you did the work and so we eat this morning as beggars who found the bread of life. Feed your people. 
strengthen us. When we hear from you, seek my face. May our hearts rejoice and say, your face I'll seek. Because that's the rock we want to base our lives on. So strengthen each of us in our inner person this morning, we pray. Let's eat together. We want to dwell with you. And we know that sin causes our hearts to turn and to run. But like the prodigal son, we know even servants have it made in your house. So may hearts that have been swayed this past week turn towards sin. May they, like the prodigal's heart, wake up and say, I'm going home. I'm going home. So would you cleanse your people? May we be quick to repent, to confess our sins, to be cleansed so that we feel at home with you. So we take the cup and we drink forgiveness and cleansing today so we can dwell in your house, the only place that matters so we can experience your presence, what each of us truly needs. Let's drink together. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Edgewater. We will see you around.